Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor program. We are back this week with a new series. We did some talking and debating about uh, what to do for our new series. We have not had any suggestions like the great one we had from the men of Orlando, and which is a reminder to all of you listening that uh, if there's something you would like to hear about, uh, let us know. And that, that uh, applies to all of you husbands, all of you wives, all of you singles, whoever else is listening. If there's some topic or series even that would be meaningful to you, just let us know. Today we took a survey of one, mainly Debbie, my wife, about uh, what she would like to uh, suggest. And she suggested the topic of rebuilding trust. And that's a great subject. I'm glad. You know, before we move to the new series, Into Trust, and we thank Debbie for that submission, you mentioning uh, that we wrapped up the Principles of Nehemiah series last week, which we did. I do want to thank our friends again down in Orlando because they Mm -hmm. followed that up with a very nice thank you to you and me for having done the series. They sent us articles that they hand out to the new guys that joined their group, uh, which included smart water and a journal uh, and a laminated page of... of, uh, The principles. Principles. I mean, just Mm -hmm. fantastic, uh, Mm -hmm. very helpful... um, tools for anybody joining their group. And uh, Joe, uh, you know who you are. We thank you uh, very sincerely for all of your input and interest in the show. Joe, I didn't see anything in that package that involved an invitation to a beachfront uh, <laughs> villa. <laughs> That's uh, but, You were anticipating that, were no, you? No, I was not. I'm, oh, just, oh. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, okay, so Debbie was suggesting, and uh, Debbie actually is the one that uh, has... Uh, 14 points of uh, things that husbands can do to rebuild trust with their wives. So I would also think, by the way, just as a quick uh, inclusion, that there are some of these points that would apply to single men if they're dating, uh, but they're disclosing to their you know, girlfriend or perhaps fiancé that they're dealing with uh, or have historically dealt with some sexual addiction problems with, like, pornography and so forth. I think all of these things would apply. And this is, you know, going from the side of the addict who has betrayed trust and uh, how can he rebuild trust with his wife. I don't think we're going to get through all 14. That's why we're calling it a series. I think it's going to be a a two-show for sure, two-show series, if not maybe three, because you know what happens to you. You you get on a subject and you are on a roll. Well, you know, uh, that would be me, but what about you? I mean, we could have you get on a roll. I'm, well, I'm, cap- I'm capable of disrupting things to the point that it takes up time. You know? Yes, yes. Well, okay, we'll start into this. So again, the topic is for all of you husbands who would like to consider the idea that you are rebuilding trust uh, with your wife after discovery of the fact that you've betrayed that trust. So, uh, and these points, I think, are, I think they're actually in somewhat uh, of an order, but not necessarily. So, you know, don't take it necessarily as number one is the most important. But uh, on the other hand, uh, as I look at it, I think number one might be the most important. And well, point, point one, as you point that out, is he, meaning the husband, he is willing to get help. 
to accept that he has a problem. Yeah, now that can mean a lot of different things, but I do I do know that that's key. I mean, how long have the husbands been hiding, been telling lies, been living in secret, the double life, and uh, how long have they been making excuses and uh, and so forth? So, uh, you know, whether they get discovered by their wife or others or whether they uh, self-disclose, uh, we're talking here now, I think, about an attitude of humility. They They are willing to get help. They know that they can't figure this out on their own. So in other words, historically, they may have said to themselves, I could stop this when I want to. Uh, uh, I, you know, If I need to get help, maybe later down the road I will. But in the meantime, I think I can handle this. So you know, this is an admission of your own uh, brokenness, your own humility. It's uh, uh, the fact that you do, in fact, need help. And uh, uh, it's, I don't know, sometimes I refer to this one as brokenness. Uh, we talked about that in the Nehemiah principles. Principle number one, you know, you're sad, you're broken, you're humble, you're repentant, uh, you're, you're willing to get whatever help it takes to uh, get free of the problem. And Mark, isn't it true that we oftentimes, or occasionally, I, I don't know how often, I know that we deal with those times that the wife will call us and the husband is not admitting to having a problem. He's downplaying it, or he just hasn't come to grips with the reality that he indeed does have this problem. Yeah, and there's something in here about a willingness to get help. So in other words, he may uh, at some lip service level say, yeah, 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 I think I do have a problem. But you remember the point started with he is willing to get help. So we've seen that happen a lot of times where, you know, the wife comes in and she's just discovered something or he's been found out uh, or he's self-confessed. And uh, she is obviously dealing with a lot of pain. And the husband may you know, acknowledge the fact, particularly if he self-confessed that he has a problem, but it's, you know, it's more than that. It's his willingness to get some help. So you know, that's going to speak much more loudly uh, to the wife, that he's willing to, uh, to do that. And that just kind of leads to his uh, dedication to her and his willingness and desire to keep the marriage going. That's right. Because so oftentimes yeah. these men who have been struggling with sexual purity issues, uh, it too often leads to infidelity, and that infidelity leads to you know more serious uh, problems. And they, they really do, in most cases, want to keep uh, see what they can do to repair and heal the marriage. Well, I think it's uh, number two kind of gets at this, uh, that it's not just that they're willing to get help or they're humble about this, but it's like the way, the way Debbie uh, writes it here is he is broken and remorseful. He has a uh, changed heart. He wants to get well, which is the first spiritual question that we've always talked about, and that is um, this is not about pacifying his wife now. This is not about uh, placating. This is not about being codependent. This is not doing it because if he doesn't do it, he's going to wind up divorced. This is a changed heart. This means that from the center of his soul, you know, uh, he is willing to get well for himself. And one of the ways we always put this is even if you don't wind up staying married, we'd still like that attitude to be present in you that you have a changed heart, that you want to be sober for yourself. We had a situation yesterday where, it, you know, it takes too long to describe, but the wife had just, you know, more or less had it. Uh, with a variety of different factors and uh, announced to us um, that she was going to be divorced and had, you know, talked to a lawyer and was going to file papers. We, you know, we never like hearing that, uh, although at times we accept it, 
particularly if you know n number one and number two are not in place. But the husband, uh, at some point during the session, said, you know, uh, I just need you to know that uh, I still love you and I am going to stay sober for me and also my role as father to our children. And I thought that was a humble heart yes. at that point. Yeah, and, and that's proving your point yeah. uh, right there in point two. He is broken and remorseful and he wants to get well. Well, there's other things to motivate us too. It's not just staying married. It's also, you know, wanting to break the uh, cycle of addiction. It's... Uh, you know, the cycle of addiction, which affects the sins of the father being passed down to the next generation. He wants he wants to be sober for his children. And uh, I think the great thing he did, which was an indication of this, is that he didn't try to argue her out of it. I think historically that had been part of the problem. Uh, you know, he had uh, used way too many words and it just drowned her out with defensiveness. So, you know, part of this uh, changed heart is, you know, not being defensive. Can we share point number three here? Okay, so point number three is he's willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober and to change his life. Many men for accountability, counseling, working on trauma, etc. Yeah, I think uh, that's, you can see, I think the listeners can, can hear how all of these points are related. So in other words, if you are willing to get help, if you are broken and humble, if you have a changed heart, then you will do whatever it takes to stay sober. And it does mean, you know, uh, going to at least a group and uh, having men in your life with whom you're accountable. Uh, it may also mean if you have significant emotional and spiritual issues, going to Christian counseling. It may also mean that uh, if you've had trauma in your early life, you're willing to face into that. I, you know, it's amazing to me how many men there are that uh, just look at some of that early life stuff and say it's way too painful. I just don't want to look at it. And it does take uh, a lot of courage to do so. So those are all indications uh, that he's willing to do whatever it takes, however much time, however much money, and however much effort it takes to get to some of these things. I mean, we have men driving here for group that come from three or four hours away. So, you know, those are the guys that Alcoholics Anonymous says that are willing to go to any length, you know, to get the help that they need. Yeah, it takes a real effort to uh, to overcome the miles and the, uh, the scheduling conflicts that that can uh, produce. Well, Mark, let's take a break right now because I, as I'm looking at these uh, rebuilding trust key points, I can see that we'll probably be able to address the first half of the list today. And then on next week's show, we'll be able to uh, continue the list. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. 
That's faithfulandtrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, uh, Randy, we were talking about this at lunch. And just even talking about it, I noticed this kind of a trigger for me, and that is uh, involved one of our favorite shows that we follow, and we do follow it. We're not suggesting not watching this show, but uh, the show is The Voice, and uh, we are very fond of uh, all the singers. Uh, we particularly pick up and root for some of the Christian singers, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun show to watch. It seems to be a really family-oriented show 99% of the time. Now, there occasionally has been a judge on the show uh, that has been inappropriately dressed. And I'm not going to mention one of the previous ones, but the current one, who I really like, I love her personality. She's now evidently in, madly in love with Blake Shelton, uh, Gwen Stefani. And I, I'm sure she's just being fashionable in terms of what's current, uh, but she is wearing on the uh, early shows here just an incredibly uh, short, short skirt. skirt. I. I forget what Sherry, our administrator, said. Something about worrying about bending over, but uh, something like that. Now, most of the time, she's sitting in her chair, and you can't see it. And and thankfully, she's very appropriately dressed uh, through the top. But when she does stand up to greet one of her new team members that has selected her, uh, it gets a little bit... uh, it's a little bit dicey there. It's certainly something to be aware of and, and to uh, uh, try to not let yourself be uh, blindsided by such triggers. So, Mark, moving on uh, to this new series of ours on rebuilding trust, point four says he works diligently on setting boundaries for himself. Yeah, that's right. So um, we have done uh, shows on uh, you know the accountability program that uh, we use and suggest. Part of that is developing... Uh, this concept called the three circles, the inner circle being all the behaviors the uh, addict is going to stop. The middle circle, uh, sometimes referred to as the yellow circle, involves all of the rituals and the triggers and the vulnerabilities that addicts can get into, which will lead them into the inner circle or the red circle, the things they need to stop. So we're kind of, for those listening who are familiar with that, we're kind of right smack dab in the middle of the middle circle or the yellow circle. And The guy who's going to be successful is setting up lots and lots of boundaries uh, around any and all of his ritual behaviors. For example, today at lunch, uh, uh, Debbie was talking about a wife who recently came in whose husband has really not been that involved with us. And one of the things she was saying is that uh, her husband uh, was interviewing somebody for his job or something like that, but it involved taking an attractive young woman out to lunch. Now, you know, this is a guy that has had problems with acting out in the past. Part of his ritual may have been to, you know, have lunch with uh, attractive women, have coffee with attractive women, talk to attractive women at work. I don't know. But uh, the guy that's going to avoid having affairs or sexual encounters with other women is not going to do anything in private with uh, any women, you know, and that's got to be a part of his ongoing program. So, you know, there can be lots of other things in terms of, you know, what you watch, what you don't watch, uh, where you go, where you don't go, that kind of thing. We we talked a lot on the show about boundaries, but I think the key point here is that the addict or the husband here is establishing these boundaries for himself because if he doesn't do it, I think here's an important point that Debbie would uh, emphasize, and that is if he doesn't do it, it's going to be very tempting to do it for him. And this is where wives get involved, kind of as we say here, jumping in his hoop, uh, suggesting things, and maybe sometimes not 
always in the most uh, kind of ways, but do you think you should be watching that? Do you think you should be going there? Do you think you should be having lunch with that woman? Uh, that kind of thing. So uh, the point here, I think, for the men is the more proactive they get about defining uh, and practicing their own boundaries, the the less likely it will be that their wives are going to have to do it for them and their wives can relax and have a sense of peace. Remember, we're we're talking here about rebuilding trust. That's the theme of our show today. So one of the main things to do is to uh, make sure proactively you're letting your wife know all of the boundaries that you are following, all the things you are not going to do, and all the healthy things you are going to do. Point number five here is also very powerful, I think, and that is the husband does not blame the wife for his choices or for his acting out. Yeah, and that's obviously critical. That could go up you know, farther toward the, the first thing uh, or the first point. But I think historically, a lot of the addicts blame a lot of things for their acting out. And it certainly can be true that they blame their wives for, you know, this or that or being angry or not being uh, frequent enough with sexuality or whatever else it is. So whether they have any anger at their wife historically or not is not the point. Uh, if they're going to build trust, they're going to have to stop blaming her for any of their behaviors. And this is, again, going back to points one, two, and three, you're taking responsibility for your own behavior. The next point on point six is he shows patience for the wife's questions or dealing with her anger or addressing her hurt, her pain. Yeah. When I think of this one, I always think of the truth kind of anthropologically that men are fixers. They have a fix-it nature inside them. Women do too, I think. I mean, I think this is a gender stereotype that we have that's not always accurate. But I do know that it's that it's oftentimes the case that the addict, having been the offender, the one who's betrayed trust, you know, he would like it to uh, uh, be fixed pretty fast. So he would like to do whatever he can to get his wife to trust him again. But his sense of timing of that is uh, probably one or two weeks where, you know, our sense of timing of that may be one or two years. So there's a disconnect there someplace. And, and I often run into it. And uh, I was talking to a husband not too long ago who uh, I was telling this dynamic to, and um, he basically said to me, I love you, Mark, but, and then he ins- insert a, a large butt, a large, no, 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 he inserted <laughs> a large word that starts with the letter F. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> he was just really angry about, uh, you know, the fact that I was suggesting to him uh, that he was not being patient. So um, this, this point requires patience. And uh, it's a willingness to answer the wife's questions, to allow her to be angry and hurt without trying to talk her out of it. Now, the questions uh, part, I know that uh, there's a fine line here uh, at, at, at certain points where, you know, the wives may be asking the same question uh, over and over again, like a hundred different times. And if that's the case, then uh, we're going to encourage the wives to say, if, if you're asking a question a hundred times and you're getting an answer to those, that question, but it doesn't seem to satisfy you, it may be that there, there's some other question behind that question uh, or there's some other perception in the question. But, but for the purposes of today's show, we're talking about the fact that the husband needs to be willing to answer questions and he needs to be willing to do that for however long it takes. Something could come up, and I know it has for Debbie and I, you know, 20 years down the road, you know, tell me a little bit more about this or that. And I have to be willing to answer whatever questions come up, however uh, long that takes. 
And is that mainly due to the fact that the wife isn't liking the answer that he's giving to whatever that question is? Well, it could be that she doesn't believe the answer. That's a possibility. Uh, Whether she likes it or not, I oftentimes think that when the wives are asking a lot of their questions, they're, they're really asking the why question, you know, like, why did you do this? And that's a question that I think the husbands can eventually answer, but uh, in the early days particularly, they, they, they don't have a clear sense of that. So they keep asking, how could you have done it five times, not four times? How could you have gone there? How could you have been with that woman? How could you have gone to that site or whatever it is? And I think in many ways they're, they're wanting to know, how could you have done this to me? Are most of the husbands successful in coming up with a, an acceptable well, answer for that? Yeah, I think it goes back to our earlier points. If they're doing the counseling, they're looking at their early life trauma, they're, they're taking their neurochemistry seriously, they, they, can, they can generally find out when sexual arousal became something they associated with managing their emotions. And that's uh, one of our main teachings about the why question. It's like the addicts have all learned that sexuality... Uh, or the neurochemistry that sexuality produces is one of the ways they manage their emotions. So uh, I think they all learn after a while. And then there's always a story behind that association. And I think if they're willing to tell the stories of their early life, then the, the wife can begin to understand how this whole thing developed in the first place. And most importantly, that it way preceded her, you know, in terms of... Uh, it's it history with it's him. It's history with him. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, is that commonplace? You mentioned a moment ago that suddenly out of nowhere, years down the road, a question arises again. It, it may, yeah. Yeah. Is that fairly common? Well, sure, it could be. Uh, uh, I know we have one couple now that we're working with where uh, the husband did do a lot of acting out in parks and hotels. And, you know, now a year or two later... Uh, is there driving places? She still has questions about, did you act out there? Did you act out there? That's an important question because uh, if you're driving by places or you're going in hotels, the wife can sometimes sense that there's a certain energy here or the wife or the husband is uh, uncomfortable with something. And uh, I think it's completely legitimate at that point to ask, is this a place where you know, you acted out? And I would think that the husband would want to do all he can to not trigger the wife. You know, but I mean, uh, trying to, to be uh, forthcoming, of course, but at the same time, you know, if, if it gets to the point that now she's doubting every place they drive yeah, past. Right. Well, you know, uh, I think, you know, one of the things we're going to try to teach our couples is how to have safe conversations when they are triggered. So, you know, we're going to hope that we never completely avoid triggers and what we can learn is how to talk about them with each other in safe and healthy ways. When they do happen, right? Yeah, right. First of all, we're going to want to thank Debbie for uh, contributing this list to us. But uh, our last point today is going to be the husband supports the wife's need to get help, whether that be the money uh, that will be necessary or the extra effort in helping with their kids. Well, those are two things. But the idea that the husband is willing to financially uh, or in terms of childcare, or uh, whatever else he needs to do, you, you know, taking time off work to watch the children, working an extra job to earn money. He, he does whatever he needs to do. I mean, we've always looked at the financial resources of a couple and said that it needs to be distributed three ways. Uh, a third of it for the husband and the help he gets, a third for the wife and the help she gets, and then a third of it for their couples counseling. And uh, some of the husbands uh, historically have controlled the checkbook, the bank accounts, you know, and all the money. Uh, a lot of times the wives come in here and they, they are unaware, in fact, of how much uh, money they as a couple actually have. I, I mean, I'm surprised by that. I mean, as we all know, you and I know, Debbie is 
incredibly competent when it comes to handling financial matters. So I've never had the thought, number one, that Debbie didn't know about any of this stuff. But there are a lot of wives out there for whom that is true. And uh, the husband, I think, uh, in his humility, his brokenness, his change of heart, uh, I think he needs to let her know. I think he needs to start including her in that. And he needs to tell her, yes, we have enough money for you to go to counseling or we have insurance, or we have whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes to watch the kids to make sure you can get to your group or go to your counseling session, you know, that kind of thing. So, Mark, as we wrap up today's program, and we have just launched this new series on Rebuilding Trust, uh, give that ray of hope to our, our listeners on how to proceed as we've made it halfway through this list. Well, I think it's one of our most frequently asked questions as to whether or not the wife can ever trust the husband again. And I would love for our listeners to know that, yes, uh, that can certainly take place. It may take longer than you'd like for it to take, but certainly it does happen. Uh, Debbie, I've heard her say a hundred or more times in public speeches that uh, she completely trusts me today and, in fact, doesn't even think about it that much anymore if it it weren't for the fact that we're uh, doing speeches and writing books about it. (laughs) Exactly. Launched a career on on that. Right. Well, uh, thanks for that great uh, knowledge and, uh, uh, and wisdom there, Mark. You have been listening. To Mark Laser, I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we hope that today's program and this new series will be a helpful one for you, uh, our loyal listeners. We hope that this coming week is going to be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at FaithfulandTrue.com. That's FaithfulandTrue.com.